Namaste, and welcome to our continuing series, Savitri is the Message, with our beloved Alokbhai. Namaste, sir. Today we're going to cover the birth and childhood of the flame, and we'll be on page 358, uh, three, but I'll begin with three lines from 357 or two lines, outlined in the sincerity of that ray, her springing childlike thoughts were richly turned into luminous patterns of her soul's deep truth, and from her eyes she cast another look on all around her than man's ignorant view. All objects were to her shapes of living selves, and she perceived a message from her kin in each awakening touch of outward things. Each was a symbol power, a vivid flash, in the circuit of infinities half known. Nothing was alien or inanimate, nothing without its meaning or its call. Just that one line we'll read after that. For with a greater nature she was one. For with a greater nature she was one. So beautiful this is. Yes. Actually this is uh, the description of Savitri's childhood. And as she is growing, the modes of knowledge that spring up in her. And it actually describes the journey from... Uh, the passage, you know, from the very beginning, it describes the journey from the spontaneous oneness that exists in the animal creation. Animals know by spontaneous instinct because they are, um, in Hindi, there is a very nice word for it, pran chinme, deh chinme. So they are conscious through their body of the entire extension of the material world. And they are conscious in the life of the entirety of the life force that moves the cosmos. But their blessing is that they don't have a mind. <laughs> yes, it's a blessing. Uh, yeah, exactly. So they are directly conscious of things. Um, of You know, you'll see dogs and cats. They are so conscious of the forces that move in the environment. Yes. Of which we are not conscious. Now, from here starts another journey through the mind. Which is like a fall. That's how mother describes that it's a fall. This is the fall described in the Bible where they taste the fruit of knowledge. As long as Adam and Eve didn't want to know anything, life was beautiful. That is a, you know, innocent, sinless purity, a state uh, where there is no sin because, you know, you're moved by, the, uh, by nature in a very natural way, spontaneous way. But now the mind wants to know. So with that comes duality, good and bad, sin and virtue, all these things begin to come up. Now this passage makes life very difficult, stifling, because it goes on creating individuality and individuality. Yet this is required. That is the whole catch of the evolutionary journey. The most difficult you know, stage is the human evolution. And as man becomes more and more conscious, it becomes even more difficult. Yes. Yet, it is only when we pass through this narrow isthmus, at one place Sherbinda speaks of it as the mm -hmm. isthmus, that connects the life below to the higher life above. 
and then when you enter then you have another kind of oneness which is the intuitive conscious intuitive oneness with all that is around in animal creation it is an unconscious spontaneous reflection of intuition which is called as instinct so animals know spontaneously you know sometimes i have wondered you know how do uh, you know there are big uh, blades of grass you know grown all around if we have to enter we will think oh there could be a snake we'll find out all these things then take a big torch and then keep your eye and still you know we may but these animals how they just go they know instinctively they protect themselves if they are bit they know how to handle things yet sometimes they die that's a different thing even human being with all the mental knowledge it happens but one there's one exception and that's when they get in touch with human beings yes that's when they lose that instinct yes. yes exactly but again when you reach into that state of the spontaneity of the gods then it's a different matter altogether yes. so savitri has brought that higher mode of knowledge so there are two modes of knowledge one is the mental knowledge which is based on division you see things separately parts bits and etc so it's ultimate uh, little semi humorously i would say its ultimate acme is sorry to say medical modern medical knowledge so modern medical knowledge becomes so confusing at the end if you do this this will happen if you don't do this that will happen and it's it has many ayurvedic versions etc okay so all kinds of versions are there now so now everything so at the end you don't know what you should eat what you should not eat whether you should sleep you shouldn't sleep how many hours mm-hmm. i'm saying it a little humorously but you will see that there is no one version which can be absolutely you know each will have his own that's how dogma sects are formed each believes in his own you know theory and sri arbindo says you know sometimes homeopathic works sometimes ayurvedic works and then you know same thing same tendency which forms religions cults same tendency because they are all born from the mind and it divides world into sections parts forgetting that at the end of the day all is interconnected you just can't yes. forget that all is interconnected this is the law of sacrifice very beautifully the gita says it is through sacrifice that the lord has created this world yagya that's how he calls it yes. so the concept of sacrifice is very interesting you know everybody offers something they are priests of sacrifice or offering some are offering ghee some are offering samida there is a head priest and all of the offering and there are others who are watching now after the sacrifice is over whoever is propitiated gods have come taken that's a different occult part not going into it but the end everybody who is watching the process gets the prasad everybody receives something which comes as his own share so life as a sacrifice means we put our bit but it's not like a one to one universe doesn't respond like that okay how much money you deposited this return you will get back with interest you may get nothing but somebody else may get a lot and this can only be understood if you understand the oneness behind creation there is no other way to understand we cut things into small compositions there is something called as individual effort and its individual returns see buddhism has created a whole karmic theory based on this we see that mother at one time had the soup ceremony yes. in that small room yes that is typical Mo- mother would put her hands over the soup then she would take a spoon out and she would taste the soup and then give it to a disciple taste it again give it to another disciple yes 
putting something of herself in it. Yeah. So the law of action that comes from this is that whatever effort that is going through us is coming from the whole and going to the whole. It is not to um, you know satiate my senses and gratify my ego sense. I will receive what I have to receive. It will still come to me. But it is not a mathematical calculation that I have put this much, this much should come to me. The universe operates as a whole and it gives in incalculable ways. So this is where we see something very interesting. Yes, I'd like to say something about this passage because yeah. we are very, very fortunate that we have mother's early experiences shown to us when she was five years old, when she was growing. Oh, yes. And, and this uh, illuminates these passages by her actual realizations. Yes, yes, absolutely. So, here, the thing which is truly individualized in us is the soul. And that's what is important to remember. That is the unique individuality which we must safeguard. And all else in nature is a movement which is a wave from the whole. And she, she describes so beautifully um, on page 355. Nia was a spirit to its parent son. The breath within to the eternal joy. Now he describes about the life in the unco- seemingly unconscious, what we call as unconscious, hmm. the plant, the tree, the animal life. The first fair life that breaks from nature's soon mounts in a line of rapture to the skies, absorbed in its own happy urge it lives, sufficient to itself, yet turned to all. This is the nature of life. It has no seen communion with its world, no open converse with surrounding things. There is a oneness, native and occult, that needs no instruments and erects no form. In unison it grows with all that is. That is the problem of transformation. This word nature swoon yes, yes. is so interesting. Because when life first comes into nature, you can feel that swoon. Yes. She's just beginning, beginning to experiment. To open the, yes, and open the bud. Yes. And this, uh, we have developed one kind of instrument to communicate. But even without it, there is a constant interchange which is going on with the creation. All the time, even physically, as mother says, you know, you think you are an individual, but all the atoms and everything, they are coming into the body. The air you breathe in and breathe out is a very visible, tangible interchange. Words spoken and even if you do nothing, there is an interchange which is going on with the whole creation. There are many practical implications of this. But one of them is, so... The true individuality is something which springs from the soul. Only that which is integrated with the soul becomes truly, truly individual. All the rest is an illusory individuality required at a stage of growth. So here she continues, All contacts it assumes into its trance, this life which is half asleep. Laugh-tossed consents to the wind's kiss and takes transmutingly the shocks of sun and breeze. What marvelous line. Shocks of sun and breeze. We have lost that art. Imagine the, you know, plant, you know, with the cyclone and all these winds and sun blazing suddenly. 
there must be tremendous shock but it absorbs it changes into life energy yes, of yes, one kind yes, or the other yes it instinctively knows how to do it <coughs> a blissful yearning rides in its leaves a magic passion trembles in its blooms its boughs aspire in hushed felicity these three lines are so powerful yes this of course i'm a person of nature and i have felt this i have felt this yearning riot in the leaves as they're springing out the passion in the blooms of some flowers beauty and art and downstairs we have divine smile blooming yeah. and uh, all of this is an occult godhead of this yes. beauteous cause i have uh, one uh, thing which i experienced once i can share earlier i was too much into you know like thought world mm-hmm. where uh, thoughts would climb to heights and to the most material realities till one day somebody showed me long long back a new flower you know with lot of excitement look a new flower has come so for me ah. it was like okay new flower has come so what's the i mean no words but it's okay one of those things mm-hmm. but when you actually look a new leaf or a new flower just coming it's a sight to behold exactly it does something to you inside just a new leaf is coming the freshness the joy it carries of life it's like almost seeing a baby being born <laughs> Oh it's very true. That kind of journey true. And you felt it after looking deeply. Uh, yes, exactly. Otherwise I I wouldn't even, you know, ca- honestly care like this about I would care about plants but not about like look at it, you know. So often it's a I can tell you this therapeutic. If if one is feeling down, depressed, sick, tired, weary, mother has said look at a flower. Yes. And look at a blooming little bud. it fills you with the joy of life why because it's contained within that small little leaf behind it is a whole world of joy storming in through that little yes. little you know thing so here you have such a beautiful description that we think that you know these things are animate inanimate but behind them even there are godheads and ultimately the godhead who is filled this world will charm and wonder and joy an occult godhead of this beauty is cause the spirit and intimate guest of all this charm this sweetness is priestess and this reveries muse so oh. this goddess is hidden inside and you know she is the one who is expressing changing dresses you know uh, it's like a you go to a big mega store where number of colors and you can just choose combinations you can put a color here mix and match and wear dresses of different kind it's literally like that someone had given me a very interesting image i read in a book um, and that image has just stuck to my you know mind that when the earth is rotating around no and what happens the relation of moon to the earth so we know that uh, uh, there is a high tide when the moon is full he said if you see the whole 28 days cycle in a kind of lapse photography of earth and the moon simultaneously you would experience you'll feel that slowly it is ripping the ocean and then <laughs> letting it fall literally mm. ripping the ocean slowly 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 it is rising 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 and one day there is a high tide i mean it's so amazing another was very amazing about you know living nature 
there was a book uh, I read about healing. So it described, we think, um, uh, you know, as if human body is unconscious and you need things external. Says even uh, things which we call as unconscious, like mountains, they are stones, they are conscious. And we hear about, you know, um, suddenly there are slides sliding off. It's called landslides. Landslide. Landslide. Recently there was also that massive river, you know, Kidarnath. Yes. So he says they, they are mountains, ways of healing itself. When human beings disturb, create injuries. So, you know, when you have an injury, so you have um, the various responses. The last one is sloughing. So there are different responses the mountain begins to make and at time when it jerks and sloughs it off. So when it sloughs it off, it's for us it's devastating because it's at a mountain scale. But these are ways the mountain is shedding itself and re- renewing itself. So it's so amazing to look at nature with this eye that it's living, conscious, and then you know it fills us with wonder and joy that yes. that has been robbed of by this uh, mentalized science which looks at things very mechanically, yes. everything including you know brain is nothing but matter, heart is nothing but matter. Uh, it has robbed us of that living, conscious sense of, and therefore. Uh, the result is now we believe that you know everything is inanimate to this extent that if I have a problem I need something outer my body is mechanical so like somebody fixes a car I have to take it to a doctor who will take out the spark plug clean it and then put it back and then I'll kick start and it's okay it's, it has its own healing mechanisms because it's a conscious body but we have forgotten to connect with it so mother, this and mother speaks about well, she's given us significances of different flowers that heal. Yes, Material yes, power yes, to heal. Yes. Spiritual power of healing. If we hold one of those flowers, I'm sure we can be healed. Absolutely. So this is the new... We have lost this connect with nature. Yes. And she will come to establish it. But first, Shrebin is describing this. The lines exist within nature. They don't have ear, size and uh, outer senses. But uh, plants listen to music. They respond, uh, not only listen to music. I have seen trees actually take away your worries. They are excellent friends. And and I have seen a couple of times I have suggested this. If you have a good tree in the courtyard, speak out of a problem to the tree. He will quietly listen, sometimes maybe gently fan you and won't speak of it to to anyone. But if you tell a human being, and especially if you say, please don't tell anyone, be sure by tomorrow it will be out in the newspapers. And you are this person, that person. I didn't say this. Did I? No, no, no. You must have shared with someone else. But trees will just absorb it. They are like that. They sense your worries. I have had this, you know, actual contact with trees that they sense your worries. And, you know, people are now practicing cow hugging. Tree hugging, actually, you know, he will not even charge you $200 because, you know, <laughs> you never know franchises. Now, tree hugging will start. You <laughs> Service tea, I've seen people. Some, those who don't understand this, you know, yeah. highly intellectual. Oh, this is all devotion. This yeah. is all, you know, uh, sentimentality, yeah. ignorance. They don't realize this is a profound knowledge yes. which the mind has lost. I had a friend in Chennai, his name was Yagna Shastri, and he taught me 
more about trees than any man on this earth. When he saw a tree, the tears would flow from his eyes. He loved them so deeply. See, our tree, service tree has been so conscious. Ah, yes. it, has, it responds to the human vibrations. I don't want to speak more about it. I mean, how the big banyan tree and many, many such trees, yes. you know, within yes. us. So, invisibly protected from our sense. How interesting this line is. Mm. Because human beings with our senses, they have, you know, almost killed the beauty of nature. And if they see that here is the spirit, they would want to grab it and tie it to their homes. So, look at that suggestion. Invisibly protected from our sense, the dried leaves drenched in a deeper ray and feels another air of storms and calms and quivers inwardly with mystic rain. So there is a rain outside and if you are in connect with that mist, when, when we think of, you know, when you dream of rain, for instance, it's always a purifying force. And you can feel that touch in the rain which is outside, that, you know, whole canto, birth yeah. of the mother. Yes. He describes that. This at a heavenlier height was shown in her. So then the whole thing comes that, you know, at a much greater height, this truth, occult truth, which is there in earth, she begins to experience. And then we come to those three lines, which, you know, outlined, okay, just few lines before. Conscious of nearnesses we cannot feel, the power within her shaped her molding sense in deeper figures than our surface types. There is a whole world we can't see. It is not that they don't exist. It is our limitations. That's such a simple logic and common sense. And if you take this route, then it opens doors to possibilities of growth. Hmm. But if we take it that the world is defined by the limits of my senses, then it's a block roadblock. There is nothing else exists beyond what my eyes can see and ears and can hear. So, what the eyes see is not an evidence. It is a conjuring trick of the senses. Normally we say, whatever eyes have seen is true. And therefore, God is untrue. I don't, one doesn't see, no? That's how. But eyes are still evolving. There is a lot more to evolve. Mm -hmm. Because the Godhead of sight is, you know, what the Kenupanishad says, uh, that that which cannot be seen by the sight, but that which motivates the sight to function. That is trying to express itself through yeah. human sight evolving. There, there are a lot of books, incidentally, on evolution of uh, the eye. Mm. And if you read the process of evolution from the first, you know, points of eyes to human eye, you will see what is happening inside and how it is becoming capable of receiving light, images and building, uh, you know, it cannot build image of its own but has to transmit it. So it is not the end. So this is what she has brought with her. What the eyes cannot see, what our sight cannot describe. Those figures she begins to see and then marvelous lines and invisible sunlight ran within her veins and flooded her brain with heavenly brilliances. 
that woke a wider sight than earth could know. The secret of transformation, invisible sunlight running through the veins. How do you inject it? In fact, this opens the doors to new forms of therapies which will come in the th- future. Phototherapy. Actually, people are doing experiments that can light actually clear the blood vessel blocks. Yes. There are early suggestions that it is possible. Maybe light can heal a lot of diseases. We just don't know. But we have to also have receptors which can, you know, absorb that light. Yes. Right now, we have bodies designed in such a way that beyond a point it cannot absorb. So, a lot of diseases may be simply because our habits have changed. We are not in contact with active sunlight. Have you read about this doctor who is uh, speaking to the cells? Yes, yes. Very, very interesting. He's, he actually is healing people by speaking to the, li- to the liver when there's a liver disease. And he asks the liver, why are you going through this? And the liver will say, well, we had, <clears throat> she had a, a, a severe series of x-rays and they damaged us a bit. And so we're trying to recoup and heal it again. Uh, it's amazing. He says there's a consciousness in every cell, in every part of the body and this is what mother has been telling us for years and see what is happening interesting thing is that now we have shut our life largely from the sunlight now as a natural instinct people are now developing the need for physical health going out walk into the sun this is coming spontaneously because something within the human body is realizing it and we attribute sickness to whole lot of things but Sunlight, the natural immune booster. Even during the corona, it was the most paradoxical thing to shut people inside. There were a lot of, you know, uh, revolt against this rightly because sunlight, walking in sunlight is a known immune booster. Now, I understand that you don't want to crowd. By all means, restrict the crowds. Crowding is never good anyways. But to make people not walk into sunlight is literally you are... Uh, shutting the immune system step by step. So sunlight is a natural source and it rejuvenates in so many ways. Earths connect with the creator through the sun. So there is so much and that sunlight, when we don't have it, so what is going to happen Earth's future? We will have to open ourselves to the source of that sunlight within us. That sunlight running into the veins. So we have these two options. Ideal is both so walk a lot into the sun, make friends with the sun, and also open to the inner sunlight, which flew, in, which flows into her veins. Outlined in the sincerity of that ray, her springing childlike thoughts were richly turned into luminous patterns of her soul's deep truth. So s- thoughts are simply, actually each of them, Uh, These lines, honestly, could be a research area, honestly, for uh, medical science. It won't... Look at just these three lines. So, what's happening? How are thoughts forming? No one really knows. All that you know is neurons are going ticking, ticking, ticking. Now, neurons are not designed like computer zero ones. How are they creating different thoughts in different people? You have a you know, set of neurons, the same neurons are getting triggered. How is it that you have such different ranging thoughts, thoughts of forms? Who is building those forms? From where is the energy coming? They are simply packets which the brain is creating. 
what is being put into the packet, the content, thought is a form. It is the most subtle form. So it's an amazing, you know, truth which um, the Kenupanishad K- starts with this question, where medical science would end. It starts with this question, Ken Prasitam, where what impels the thought to its errands? Just imagine these profound questions we have forgotten to even ask simply because we have accepted the oh thought because of brains. Several times people, you know, raise this question. But thought is because of the brain. I said, who told you so? First question, who told you so? It's because some book has said that because of neuronal activity, you think... Therefore, you have presumed that this activity is the cause of thought. Even this logic is difficult for people to understand. It is so straight logic. That a machine is not the cause. It is only generating a form. Cause has to be somewhere else. Computer is not creating letters and words on its own. It is, it is in the software which has been fed. Sometimes it's in the virtual world. Computer analogy helps to, you know, understand nowadays. So, brain is, what is the brain doing? It's just giving forms. And who is determining these forms? So, here in three lines, lot of secret uh, she's revealing. Uh, People often say, think positively. Uh, So, mother gives a very one line answer to everything. Find your soul. Go deeper into your soul. The deeper you go, you will see spontaneously things will change. And then, and from her eyes she cast another look on all around her than man's ignorant view. At one place, again since we are talking of medical science, people may find it very shocking, but so true. She says there are diseases, in fact she starts with saying there are no diseases. Uh, There are disorders. Uh, but uh, they are all the time in ever-changing patterns. Human mind fixes it, labels it as diseases. And by labeling it, it makes it much worse because now it gets fixed into the consciousness of the race. And then she says, there are disorders. There are, you know, vibrations of disorder and vibrations of order which you can bring in. And then she says something very interesting that there are things which people call as very, very difficult diseases to cure diseases They are actually very simple from the occult and spiritual point of view. But there are things which are known as simple diseases. They are much more difficult to cure from the occult and spiritual point of view. And she gives the example of the tooth and skin because they, you know, share the, but they are are like inconscience. The whole body can be seen as a symbol. They They bear the burden of the inconscience. So very difficult to cure them. There is a medical reason people will say if bone has an infection, very difficult to cure. Blood is also not going mm-hmm. there. It's like a lifeless tissue. And uh, it is true even from a cult point of view. I was reading recently from Sri Aurobindo how these thoughts come to people and they actually are refused by some and accepted by others. Yes. And he says the genius re- receives something And he says, oh, this is great. And he has a new invention. And another person receives it and says, no, this is no good. (laughs) Forget about it. That's why geniuses are misunderstood. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And sometimes in the process, the brain cracks also. 
So when the word is used, crackpots, it's <laughs> because they receive a kind of energy which is very different. Yeah. And it breaks the, shatters the fixed formulas. Yes. Because uh, that's a different consciousness altogether. It doesn't operate according to the human formulas of life, of thought. Mm. It breaks those patterns and builds new one. And if people understand it, it's good. Otherwise, it's like far into the future. Yeah. Hundred years down the line, people follow that and say this is the norm. But during that time, because they are giving new forms to thoughts. What Shurabindu has done right now, people say they don't understand. Yes, we have to wait hundred years. For Savitri, the mother says only beings with a new consciousness will be able to understand. I mean, you can imagine what he has poured into it. So, these are thoughts, if you look at it. But can it be compared to any, just another thought? No. And then these lines, all objects were to her shapes of living selves. They are conscious, they are living. All and objects, not just a few. Yes. And she perceived a message from her kin. In each awakening touch of outward things. Life could be so wonderful. Once Shirobindo spoke about, um, I don't know what was the beginning. And then he says, the disciple was surprised. Sir, is it so? He says, yes. And now when I tell you that watches have life, you will wonder. Watches have life. They respond to your... I have seen this such a rapport with the watches. And with Shurabindu, the classical story when he is walking into the three rooms and the watches are stopping. Same time, first one, the second one, the second stops, third one, third one stops. Yeah. And then Shurabindu remarked, uh, I forget the remark, but like a semi-humorous remark. What nonsense or something. Some semi-humorous remark. And then all the three started clicking again. So they have life. There are entities behind. They use them. Even yes. they can respond to a touch, an object which you uh, keep near you, which you hold with you, carries its own, your atmosphere. It takes the imprint, absorbs it all. Absolutely. In my lifetime, I've seen this with so many tools, a rake, a shovel, a yes, hoe. Yes. Use it properly and it will never break. Use it properly, and it will actually help you in your work. But if you don't use a tool properly, it feels that also. Yes, and first thing it will do is to injure your thumb, and after yeah. that it will... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this way of dealing with creation, see these, these lines, because Savitri's life is an example. She's teaching us how to deal with creation. Yes. They are living selves. They are not, uh, you know, houses carry that atmosphere because of the people who live. They, they have their own atmosphere which develops over a period of time. It's a human creation. Idols can be charged with, you know, a divine presence. Look at the possibility. Rivers can respond to your contact and your connect. Mountains call us. I mean, these are so, such uh, true experiences of, you know, even one has to be little conscious. So, she is teaching us, Shurabindu is teaching us through her life that we must live a lot more consciously. And then comes this line, and she perceived a message from her kin. They will tell us, if we develop the rapport, they will tell us, you know, 
like people knew about tsunami the animals knew but with all our weathermen <laughs> we were waiting sitting ducks so they'll give a message stay back go away i'm going to you know yeah there was a wise man on one island and he told all the people of that island go up on the mountain yes. and not one person was injured yes the tribals in andamans because they are still connected directly so they will give a message they have their own sometimes they give most of the time beautiful message we mm-hmm. do get you know morning night everything is like god script the unwritten veda uh, the veda knower of the unwritten book so the first teacher early morning reminds us that no night night is you know all nights will end <laughs> there are a passage <laughs> so then in each awakening touch of outward things each was a symbol par so that's how they appear in visions and trance each was a symbol par a vivid flash in the circuit of infinities half known nothing was alien or inanimate nothing without its meaning or its call and it's a whole world of dream symbols visions to see a mountain is a physical ascent of consciousness to see the rain is a purifying grace sun shining over luminous fields is higher mind flowers energies of nature uh, soul energies of the soul birds ascent of the soul flying towards higher regions yes. invariably birds represent the some aspect of the soul or soul power and look at these two lines he begins with the word nothing hmm. nothing was alien or inanimate nothing without its meaning or its call yes and then see he says for with a greater knowledge nature she, for with a greater nature she was one so there is a lower nature where oneness exists and there is a greater nature which is the origin of oneness here the oneness is behind animals know it instinctively there there is conscious oneness in between is poor man <laughs> he has lost the oneness of the animal creation and become miserable he has to recapture it he has no other way but he has to reca- recapture it by ascent from the mind to that higher nature supernature and this is why mother says that the supramental is going to be as different from man as man is from the animal imagine so it is the conscious oneness what is unconsciously existing nature has created some reflection of that but the creatures are not conscious of it they if you ask an animal tell us how your life is take a reporter goes there he'll just just walk away from you he's not interested <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the higher species will be aware will be conscious i would like to read a little yes, more because yes. this is so beautiful yes. as from the soil sprang glory of branch and flower as from the animal's life rose thinking man a new epiphany appeared in her this is where now he is taking all to a yes, grand yes, summary yes after this background and then yes please. a mind of light a life of rhythmic force a body instinct with hidden divinity 
prepared an image of the coming God. And when the slow rhyme of the expanding years and the rich, murmurous swarm work of the days had honey-packed her sense and filled her limbs, accomplishing the moon orb of her grace, self-guarded in the silence of her strength, her solitary greatness was not less. So beautiful. My favorite lines also, a new epiphany yes. appeared in her. So she is the avatar. She has brought in this new possibility. And in four lines, Shubindo explains what is going to be the new creation. Yes. What is the new creation? A mind of light, meaning thereby it's fundamentally freed from ignorance. It moves from light to greater light. The fundamental ignorance which surrounds us with all sorts of doubt that is gone. A mind of light. A life of rhythmic force. A life which is in tune with the higher worlds and their rhythms. So it will not have a possibility of diseases. Yes. Because it will be in tune with the higher rhythms which govern this creation. Rhythm, rhythm literally if you, if you take the Vedic context, it is rith, rith. Actually the two words are very similar. It is the right law of things. We don't know. The mind tries to create uh, artificially. Animals know the rhythms. So nobody has to teach them when to sleep, when to wake up. Fortunately, they don't have to study and get a job. So that way they escape that, you know. They have a job already given by nature. But they know when to sleep, when to wake up and they have their own ways. And you know, it's amazing the way the animal world operates. And then in human beings, because we don't have that. So we have all sorts of theories. What time to wake up, what time to sleep, what to eat, how to even sometimes they are ridiculously funny. If you drink water, if you are standing, then there is an effect. If you sit down, then there is another effect. So after, if you start doing like that, whether you will remain physically healthy or not, but mentally you are going to go crazy. Because all the time your mind is filled with ideas. Right or wrong, I am not, please bear me out, I am not saying this is right or that, that is not right. I am just saying that, just imagine a mind driven by so many rules. Shobinda very humorously wrote in Records of Yoga, there is a line, a rule book of life <laughs> to govern your life with fixed rules. It doesn't exist. But the mind cannot. It is very um, uh, frightened with the vastness of cosmos. So it wants and, and the sign that of a less evolved you know, uh, mental structure is that you'll have very many fixed rules, very tight, rigid, narrow. Yes. Down to the last detail. And the sign of an evolving humanity is when there is more and more freedom and fluidity. That's how she described the mother. Uh, minimum of rules, maximum of freedom yeah. and a great degree of plasticity. This is going to be the new creation whether we like it or not. It may not be to the likings of fixed dogmatic ways of life which you know has uh, stifled the vast impulse of creative urge of nature into very few fixed standardized formulas uh, which they are okay for safety, that's all. But they are counter, uh, not okay for evolution. It, they will ensure safety into a fixed type but they prevent evolution. Evolution is by uh, tuning the life to the rhythms of the divine will. Yes. That is the path. Very difficult but that's the journey. 
You know, the ashram has many, many systems. I wouldn't call them rules, but they have... <laughs> excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> but one time Nolini called me and he said he wanted to tell me something from Mother. And he says, Mother says she gives you complete freedom in the ashram, but with that comes total responsibility. There is no evolution without that. Yes. If you put life in straight jackets, there is no, you know, no evolution. Especially when you have to discover a greater law. If these rules were the ultimate, then there is no problem. Mm. The problem is with all these rules, you still have the same problems which plague mankind. Often when, you know, sometimes people bring their children for counseling mm. and they say, uh, you know, uh, so what is the problem with the child? Uh, he is now, you know, 30, he doesn't want to get married and all this. So please counsel and convince him. So I said, hold on. Before I convince him, I want to be convinced whether you really believe that marriage is the best thing on planet Earth. Uh, I mean, are you the happiest of couple? <laughs> Before I ask this question in front of your child, uh, so, you know, no, no, but that's how life is, you know, uh, that's the society. Now, this is where we make a mistake. Yeah. We think either marriage or no marriage. This is an error. There is a new way which man will discover of relationship, which is not confined to these two uh, straight jackets. Yes. This is the typical way of mind, either or. But there are new ways of conceiving institutions, schools. This way of schooling, you sit in a classroom and you are, you know, taught on a blackboard, <laughs> which is so silly if you look at it. A for apple, call this, what is this? This is a tulip, <laughs> this is a brain. <laughs> all, <coughs> all images are entering the mind. Mind has put everything. At the end of the day, it doesn't know the difference between a swan and a kingfisher. <laughs> or, both are white, both are birds, <laughs> both can, you know, because he's not understood the essence of you know, the creative surge of life. And what's a symbol? Each of them is a symbol. Yes. And it represents something. When we look at life like that, then we can play in multiple ways. And so this mind of light, life of rhythmic force, a body instinct with hidden divinity. The body should spontaneously be immune. That divinity must awaken within the body, the body organs, the body cells. However long it takes, but that is the path man has to ultimately take. Let it take 100 years, 200 years. But the road we go with all kinds of outer uh, means, you know, crutches. We are actually uh, regressing the body to a stage where it will be like a child who needs to be spoon fed. Whereas nature wants us to take the challenge of life, go through it. Yes, you will succumb, maybe twice, thrice, you will succumb. But eventually you will figure out a way, all evolution has been like that. But, you know, science like that compassionate surgeon who cut the <laughs> butterfly, the would-be butterflies, the caterpillar sheath, to try to relieve its suffering. Yeah. And poor fellow continued to crawl with half wings. So yeah. we must understand there is a wisdom and one day the body itself will become instinct with divinity because she has brought this with her 
and this is the promise of the future and the last line is uh, prepared an image of the coming God so mind, life, body they have to be now upgraded differently scaled the mind has to become a mind of light the ability to see behind appearances our life has to learn to tune to the divine rhythms and our body has to develop the instincts of the God which is like the intuition it has lost that natural instinct but the intuition and she says you can start it from childhood itself as children grow up we lose it with all the kind of concepts and dogmas and this is how the God-like humanity is being prepared in the future I'll just read a few lines towards the bottom because they are so beautiful a lovelier light assumed her spirit brow, and sweet and solemn grew her musing gaze. Celestial human, deep, warm, slumbrous fires woke in the long-fringed glory of her eyes, like altar burnings in a mysteried shrine. Out of those crystal windows gleamed a will that brought a large significance to life. To this comment. is the first yeah. supramental form. Yes. <laughs> if you want to see. Bodily work, yes, but this she has brought with her. This is the gift she brought with her to give to us. Yes. Not building another free hospital with free medicine. People come and ask often, you know. that. Uh, but do you have free hospitals... Free feeding spaces, orphanages. No, we don't have all this. <laughs> then what are you doing about the world? We are trying to prepare a world where these things will not exist. When Niroda asked Shirobindo, Sir, uh, I heard that you know a hospital or something is being built. Uh, dream of a millennium coming true. So Shirobindo says, No, that is not the dream of the millennium. <laughs> dream of the millennium would be when there is no hospital needed. <laughs> this is not a dream of millennium to build so many hospitals. The, the, the evolution of a national consciousness or a group's consciousness should be uh, just one day, would be just one day, not with the number of hospitals and facilities we have, but how less they really needed these things. Because they have learned to be naturally healthy. But our compassion or misguided compassion... That stands in the way. But she has brought all this as a gift. And this one line, just last, I would like to. It is a very powerful line. Out of those crystal windows gleamed a will that brought a large significance to life. It is like, you know, why will is bringing a significance. Normally the knowledge brings the significance. Will brings the significance. She is reminding. Wake up. You know who you are? You are not this mud house clay fastened with threads of breath. You are the great one, the one who burns in the splendor of the sun and the rose. You are that. So the will which is reminding us of that, greater and larger significance to life. Because will creates what it sees. Knowledge can only tell us this is the significance. But will creates. So she has brought that will. Thank you. So Namaste. Namaste.